So with that being said, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. We'll be starting in verse 23, reading through uh, chapter 3, verse 21. When you found your place for Scripture, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust him to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. <coughs> Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. <coughs> For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and, be, and people were coming and being baptized. Amen. And reading the word, you may be seated. Granny shared that this was her favorite passage, John 3.16. <coughs> I think in the modern, the modern times that we live in, especially this week, it seems a little daunting to try to preach John 3.16 after Billy Graham's done it 20,000 times. Mm. It's often said, said of him is that he, he, he had one sermon that he preached over and over and over again. And John 3.16, you'll never hear him preach without out referencing it, that you must be born again. So we've been going through this study chronologically of, of the Gospels, looking at and how Jesus first he went out into the wilderness. And then last week we looked at the, the cleansing of the temple. And we, we talked about how God will one day cleanse our temple. This temple will be torn down and will be built up anew. And now after that it, we see him. He, he, he starts to go and he has this encounter at night with this man named Nicodemus. And so first we need to kind of ask ourselves, who is this Nicodemus? So we know he's a Pharisee by, by the scriptures, but what does that mean to you, Pharisee? 
So a lot of times today it stands for kind of the, the hip, hypocrite, judgmental church folks type of thing. But I want us to understand it, it's much more than that. The Pharisees had a belief system. And it's a belief system you will probably recognize just under a different name. If we, we look, we see in our culture that there are many who hold to what is known as universalism. It says God is love. And that God so loved everyone that all will be saved. We've heard many go around and espouse that. That, that They go around and say, well, I, I know the Bible says I shouldn't do this, but God loves me and he's created me the way I am. So it's okay because ultimately... He won't send me to hell because he loves me. And this is kind of the mindset in a different, little different twist of, of a Pharisee. When Jesus says, you must be born again, why is that so hard for Nicodemus to understand? He, he gets kind of crazy with this question, like, can I go and be born in my mother once again? Obviously, this is not what Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus knows this. He's playing with words here. Why was Nicodemus and the other Jews that you'll see throughout the gospel so offended at Jesus telling them that they must be born again? What is he telling them? That you are not saved. That if you do not get born again, you are going to go to hell. You will have no part of the kingdom of God. To him that is very, to the Pharisees, that is very offensive. They are Pharisees. They have devoted their whole lives in the priesthood to God. But if you understand their, their thinking, their way the way of their life, you'll understand why they have this mindset. They believe because they were born from Abraham that they are saved from birth. That it doesn't matter how they live their life. It doesn't matter if they go and become the worst sinner in the world. As long as they acknowledge the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the one true God, they will inherit eternal life. And so understand when, when Nicodemus is saying, what do you mean I must be born again? I am no sinner. Are we sinners? Yes. I want to do a quick exercise for those of you that can. Everyone stand up. <coughs> I'm going to give you a testimony whether you want to acknowledge you're a sinner or not. Sit down if you have ever lied in your life. All right, we did that real quick. Have you lied, Clay? You're lying right now. All right, that is just one of the commandments of God. We all admit, and if I had a chair, I'd sit down too, that we all are liars. Amen. Think about that. Read something to you real, real quick. From 1 Corinthians. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greed, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, nor liars will inherit the kingdom of God. You have all, by your own definition, acknowledged that you have fallen short of the glory of God, that you are indeed sinners. And so this is the problem that, that Nicodemus has, is that he has to confront this reality that he is a sinner. I hope you can confront this reality in yourself as well. This was very hard. And notice how Jesus addresses him. He says, you Nicodemus, you are the teacher of Israel. He is not just any Pharisee. He would have been part of what is known as the Sanhedrin, the 70 uh, top scholars and priests in the land. That he was viewed as the teacher in the land. That if you wanted to study under the best, I know our brother David in the back, 
He is an artist. And to be an artist, you want to go and study under the great artists of our day. If you wanted to study the law and what it meant to be a priest, if you wanted to live your life with God, you would have sought Nicodemus out. And he would have been very picky. If you did not have the best GPA, if you didn't come from the best family and have the best resources to follow him, he's not going to give you the time of day. But in contrast, we have Jesus who says, you follow me. He doesn't ask your background at all because he knows your background. Or you think in the previous verse it says he did not trust them because he knew what's in their hearts. He knows what's in our hearts, the evil that is there. But he still allows us to follow him. So when, when we, we look and, and talk about these things in our culture, people will, will tell us that you can't say that. You can't tell people Jesus is the only way. But let's be real honest about it. Jesus says he is the only way. He is either the way or a liar. Which one is it? The way. He is the way. So when we go about and we let people kind of talk us down and, and get us to be quiet, not really say, well, okay, that, that's your religion, this is mine. Every other religion in the world is false. Amen. It's of the devil. Amen. No one will get to glory without Jesus Christ. That's right. you know, we, we talk about our sister and, and, the, and the others that have gone on before us. The reality is nothing that she did on this earth outside of placing her faith in Jesus Christ, makes her worthy to go to heaven. Amen. Nothing. 35 years as a teacher is a wonderful thing. There are teachers in our public schools and colleges, places all across the world that have taught longer. Many of them will be in hell. This is the absolute reality we face. So understand, as we, we look at Nicodemus and as we encounter other Pharisees, understand this mindset that they have. That because they were born a Jew, they are saved. I know there are people that, that think, well, I was born in a Christian family, so I'm saved. Or my mom and dad baptized me when I was a baby. You know what that meant? You got wet as a baby. Mm -hmm. That's about all it's good for. Mm -hmm. You made no profession of faith. You did not repent in your heart of your sins. There, there are some that are, are so, so proud of predestination that say, I've been predestined by God. It doesn't matter how I live. Mm -hmm. I've, been, I've been called and chosen, sealed. It, it's... They treat it like it's an insurance policy. God will say, get away from me. I never knew you. And there are those on the other side that, that think it's, that, that their free will is so powerful that they, they can choose God this day, not that day. And as long as the day that they die is one of the days that they chose him, they're okay. That is not scriptural. That is not biblical at all. In Nicodemus' mind, if you were a Jew, you were automatically going to heaven. He is one that denied the resurrection. The, the Pharisees denied that there be a resurrection. So for him, it's all about this life. Live it to your best, live it to your fullest. I'm sure you could hear a few preachers like that. They're Pharisees. Absolute Pharisees. This is not your best life now. This is the worst life you could ever imagine if you were a Christian. This is the closest to hell as you'll ever get. This is the most pain and most sufferable life you will ever endure. There's no... There's no cancer in heaven. There's no heartbreak. There's no betrayal. There's no hardening the heart in paradise. That is here. So let's look. With, simply, I, I want to be real clear for anyone. When, when they say being born of water, this is the spiritual birth. This is what it means to be born again. Jesus is getting that. He, he is not talking about baptism here. Baptism is a sign 
that we're identifying the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's our first act of obedience, but it does not save us. Now, I know we're a Baptist church, and we're very proud of baptisms. I got an email this week congratulating us on that. But baptisms don't save anyone. I may have baptized someone who's still going to hell. I don't know. That haunts me. We need to make sure that people understand what it is to be born again before we partake in that. It simply means that our flesh is born physically. You have a mom and dad, and then you're born, and you're born in the flesh. But your spirit is dead until you're born again. That's why Jesus tells us, do not be afraid of the one who could kill your body. Be afraid of the one who could kill your soul in hell. Jesus is that one. We speak of Jesus as being loving, and he is absolutely loving. Let me ask you a question and put it in perspective. There's the uh, shooter down in Florida. I believe his name is Nicholas Cruz. Nicholas with a K. Nicholas Cruz. If you were the judge, what would you do to him? What would be your verdict? But you didn't have to worry about a jury if he asked for a judge, uh, a bench, bench trial. What would be your verdict? Guilty death penalty and I haven't shot that day. Would you do any different? What would your verdict be? Same as mine. Would any of you say, let him go? Why not? That's not just. Not just? Would that be unloving? Then how does this world say that God is loving and therefore he's going to let me do whatever I want, that I could go around sinning my entire life and then when, when that day comes, I breathe my last breath, I get to go straight to heaven and it's all good because God loves me. He wouldn't send me to hell. An unloving God wouldn't send you to hell. A loving God will because he has to be just to be loving. He has to be able to look at, at the people that have experienced that pain, those 17 families that have lost a loved one. They demand justice and they deserve it. God deserves justice. And that is the, the great news of the gospel. That, and Jesus says it right here. As Moses has been lifted up, so will I. As Moses lifted the snake up, he's talking about how he will die. He will go to a cross. God is the ultimate judge. And when he goes to that cross, the Father's wrath is poured out on Jesus Christ for your sin. Amen. I want you to think about something. When, when, when Old Testament or New, when they talk about the great and dreadful day, judgment day, what are they fearing? <coughs> Revelation talks about they fear the wrath of the Lamb. The Father's wrath has been poured out. And the Son's <coughs> wrath soon will be. Very soon. Understand that clearly. And why does the Son have wrath for those that will be on the earth at this time? Because they are the ones who have rejected him completely. Ultimately, what they are paying that price for is for rejecting his atoning sacrifice. The Father sent Jesus Christ to die in your place so you don't have to make an account, go to that judge and answer for your sins. Because they have already been paid by Jesus Christ. And many of us, we understand this intellectually. But I, I would ask you a question. Have you understood this internally? There can be no belief in Jesus Christ without repentance. 
And there's no repentance without belief in Jesus Christ. There, there are many people, I believe, I, I asked Brother Steve when, yesterday at the funeral home, I said, you're about to preach, let's go pray. How many of these people here do you think we'll see in paradise? It's always a haunting thought for a preacher. I know many of you. We've been in church together many times. and We talk about heaven and how we're all going there. The reality is we know we all won't go there. I believe there are some that, that we've been taught since we were a little kid on what it means to believe in Jesus. And we understand intellectually. We understand what an atonement means. That, that God has taken our place. But have we ever repented of our sins truly? We, we look internally. Does it break our heart that God had to go to the cross for us? That he had to die for us and for our sins? Does it scare you at all that you will stand before a holy and righteous God who will make you give an account for your actions? It should. But this is ultimately the, the great... The great and the good news. The good news of the gospel is that the bad news of us being sinners, acknowledging that we are sinners, we have fallen short of the glory of God, also means that because of God's love and mercy and grace, He has sent His Son to take our place. And that could be yours today. The Bible does not talk about tomorrow. It talks about today. I can't promise you you'll have tomorrow. I can't promise you I'm going to finish preaching before the Lord returns. Amen. There's not a single thing in Scripture that has to happen. Not a one. John talked about the return of the Lord, was expecting it. Peter and Paul talked about it, and we should be expecting it as well. Amen. But what will he find with me, with you, when he returns? Will he find a, a servant of his on fire for him, willing to do whatever he asks of us? Will he find us just sitting on our hands in pews? Like, who's going to be the next one to step up? Next one to step up should be you. Why look for someone else? Papa Tom Juanita, they did their work. <coughs> Those works follow them now. But they aren't here to do the work anymore. I shared with the family yesterday, I said, she is now at the very mountaintop of her life. She's looking over the grand splendor and all that God has to offer. But you know what she cannot do now? She cannot produce any more fruit. The fruit is done here on earth in the valley. That is where fruit will grow, in the trees. Not in the mountaintops. It's too hard for the trees to survive. So let me ask you a question. I believe there are three types of fruit that Scripture talks about. The first type is good fruit. I hope you have good fruit. Can you look at your life and say, yes, there is good fruit from my walk with the Lord in my life? I pray you can. If you cannot, and you tell me you're saved, you're self-deceived. Plain and simple. If the fruit in your life, number two, is bad, is rotten fruit, that is testimony to your soul that you're still a child of the devil. Jesus says clearly to the Jewish people, who believed they were saved because they were Jewish, he said, you are the children of your father, the devil. He was the father of lies. That's why I asked about lying. This is the first one Jesus brings about that he associates with Satan. Satan is a liar and a murderer. He comes in to, to steal, to destroy, to kill. 
So look into our lives. Do we have that good fruit? Do we have the bad fruit? I think if we're honest, many of us have a mix. That at times we're on fire for God and serving Him and going after Him. And at times we, we let the devil trip us up. And also we start producing bad fruit, rotten fruit. Fruit that will only serve one purpose, to be thrown away. That fruit won't follow you to heaven. But then there's the third fruit. And I think this is probably actually the most common fruit I, I see in churches. Your tree has no fruit. It's neither good nor bad. We are like the, the olive tree, that, or the fig tree Jesus passes. And he goes to pick a fig off so he may eat on his way. And what does Jesus do? He curses the tree and it's dead instantly. Because it produced no fruit. Do not think that we're going to be able to go our whole lives and, and hear sermon after sermon here or, or in your church or wherever God may have you. Or listening online, you, you hear sermon after sermon, you've read your Bible, you know what it says to do, but yet you still don't do it. You say the right things, you think the right things, like, oh, I, I wish I was like that person. No, you don't wish you were like that person. God has called that person to that ministry. You would fail miserably because God has called you over here. And you are to be doing that work. But instead we sit on our hands and say, Oh man, I wish the church would really grow. <coughs> you know how the church grows? By you shining your light to this community, to, to your neighbors, to your family. By you inviting them to church. So that they may hear the gospel. So that they may receive that message and allow the Holy Spirit to work on them. So that they may be born again. So they may have the hope of eternal life. Nicodemus was the most religious man in the history of the world. And he did not know how to be born again. How many in our families do not know how to be born again? I remember when I was baptized, we invited people. And most people would say, but you were baptized when you were young. Why are you doing it? They don't understand. They don't have that fire in their bones and say, I must serve God or I'd rather die. That's right. That is how I feel. I don't want to live forever. I want to be with my Lord forever. And He's given me deeds to do until He calls me home. I'm praying in a way that a voice of an archangel shouting. I do not desire to see death. I desire to have life eternally. So I'd ask you, what, what do you desire to see? What is God calling you to? Have you truly been born again? Have you truly had that moment where you got down on your knees and you allowed God to break your heart? Where He allows you through the Holy Spirit to see the sin in your life and, and how it destroys, it destroys you most of all. But it destroys other, destroys relationships. What are you going to do? You repent and believe in Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can do anything about it. You don't have any power at all over it. We'll talk about this sin and that sin. All sins lead to hell. I don't care if you're just looking at a woman to lust after her or if you're committing homosexuality or murder, or whatever, the, the talk of the day, whatever the, the hot topic sin that the world wants to talk about and say is all right, they are all wrong. They're all sinful. We must be about the gospel, sharing the good news that there is hope, there is a way. Because a day is going to come where a, me or a person like me is going to be standing with your family. 
And we're going to be talking about all those good memories. And I pray I can honestly tell them of the hope to see you again. Amen. About half the fa funerals I've done, I've told the family, <coughs> if you have any hope to see them again, you must believe in Jesus. With Sister Juanita, I didn't have to do that. So Amen. you will see Juanita again. Amen. If you believe. So do you really believe? Look at your life. Is there fruit? Or if you're honest, if you let the outside world in, we just see an absolute mess. Just absolute darkness. We will in just a second here close with the altar call. But I want to symbolize what the altar call is. What is it? The altar represents the light of Christ. It says, this is the judgment. That the light has come into the world. And the darkness not, has not overcome it. But the ones that are, are in the darkness that do not want their sins to be revealed flee from the light. But a day is very soon coming when the one who is the light is going to return. And all sins will be made bare. There will be nowhere to hide. Scripture says they will, they will try to hide themselves under rocks and pray that they will fall in them to avoid the wrath of the Lamb of God who has come to save you. Jesus has come to save you now. There's nothing you've done in your past that is too hard for Jesus to encounter. Amen. There is no, there's no addiction that you have. There's no sin you commit. There's no anger that, that he can't get past. Amen. Reality is, when that moment comes, when we are gathered around a gravesite talking about the resurrection, there is one person only that has the power to do it. His name is Jesus Christ. I have no power. I can't stand over a grave as much as some people want to tell you that, that they have power to heal. I can't make a dead person come back to life. I can't heal somebody with a cold. Let alone do a miracle like that. What I can do is I can pray to the God of heaven and earth who has that ability. <laughs> who has the ability to heal, to, to mend those relationships, to save your very soul. And to do more than you could ever imagine. I believe in this room right now we have future deacons. I do. I believe we have future preachers. Future pastors' wives. And, and various roles that we give titles to in the church. But above all, every one of us has the ability to serve Christ. But you can only serve Christ if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within. If you're, you're trying to... To make it look good, and maybe you're self-deceived, or maybe you just you've come to church your whole life and you're doing the churchy things. Nowhere does Jesus say, "Well, if you go to church or you go to synagogue, that's good enough." Why we are good enough is because Jesus is good enough. So I encourage you this day, as, as we sing this one final song, if there's anything in your life that you need to repent of, need to make right with God, do so. Come down. Nobody's going to judge you for coming down to the altar. No. Because we've all either need to make that, or we all have already done that. Amen. And there's many times you should make it afterwards. Not because you're asking to be born again, but because there's sin that needs to be reconciled. Amen. There will not be evil in the house of the Lord. He will not put up with it. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all the blessings, Lord. I thank you for the life of Sister Juanita. 
I thank you for the for the family that we have here. And we know there are many that have traveled here for the service that are able to worship with us now, Lord. We know we love them dearly, Lord. I pray you watch over all of us. You bless us, Lord. If there's any of us who need to come down and get right with you before it is too late, before you return, Lord, or before they breathe their last, let it be this day. Let us not wait another hour. Let us be able to celebrate as brothers and sisters forever. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen.